and it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. We'll begin with Revelation chapter 2 verse 18 today. In a sermon which Pastor Elliot originally presented to his congregation in Pennsylvania, the ancient church located at Thyatira is under the microscope in this passage. This church didn't go for being holy. It settled for just getting by. Could it be that we settle for the same in our assemblies? And now, with his message for this morning, our senior pastor, Robert Elliott. I want to tell you about a man that was a friend of my wife's and mine in Dallas, Texas, some years ago now. His name is Morgan Yates. Morgan Yates was a high-level business executive, although he was a young man. And um, he became the chairman of our church's annual missionary conference, a week-long conference at Schofield Memorial Church in Dallas, Texas. It's a big undertaking, a very major conference back then, and it needed a standalone, dedicated chairman to pull it off, humanly speaking. Morgan volunteered to do that some months before the week was to happen, and just days before the week began, he was unceremoniously and unexpectedly let go from his job. People who cared about Morgan and his wife were urging him, some of them were, to step down as the Missions Council Conference Chair to find work, to put out resumes, to pound the pavement, to knock on doors, to try to get employment. After all, a man needs to make a living. Morgan declined on all that advice, and he moved forward with faith, a quiet, settled confidence in God's willingness and desire to supply for his family's needs. As the week unfolded and the various activities and gatherings and conventions and meals took place and Morgan Yates was the chair of all those things, near the end of the week, a person who was new to Schofield Memorial Church and it turned out was a high-level executive himself in a corporation based in Dallas, said he would like to have lunch with Morgan. Morgan found the time and sat down with this man for lunch, and the man said, we've never met before, but I've been watching you this week, and God has gifted you in administration and in your deportment, your personality, your people skills, and I want to offer you a six-figure salaried position with my corporation. Morgan Yates is an example of a man who decided that being holy was more important than just getting by in life. That's generally the gist of this sermon today. Will we choose to merely get by, or will we prefer to choose to be holy? The church we're going to look at this morning, Thyatira, some in that church made a poor choice, and others in the church of Thyatira made a good choice. So will you uh, stand with me as we read God's word as found in Revelation chapter 2, Verses 18 to 29. Hear the word of God. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The Son of God, who has eyes like flame of fire and his feet are like burnished bronze, says this, I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance, and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray, so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality, 
Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of her deeds. And I will kill her children with pestilence, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching and have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for this time to be in your word. We pray that the Spirit of God would take the word of God and apply it to the children of God so that we would be more in love with the Son of God. And we pray this in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. Thanks. Be seated. So far before this morning, we have seen three of the seven ancient churches and the letters that were sent to them based upon their situations. By way of review, the first letter was the church at Ephesus, a church that had left her first love. The second letter was to Smyrna, a church which was about to suffer. And the third letter last week was to Pergamum, a church that was holding to a heresy. And now, this morning, we come to the fourth church, Thyatira. And the question for that local church at that time was, would they be settling for getting by or would they push on to being holy? Getting by versus being holy. In verses 18 and 19, we see that the church had good deeds, deeds of love, agape love, discerning the greatest need in the one you love and sacrificially giving to meet that need without concern for cost or payback. They were loving as a church in Thyatira. They had faith in the living God. They had a desire to do service for Christ, and they had a perseverance. And all these things, when mixed together, these good deeds, meant that Jesus would assess that those things that they had been doing were increasing. And they were getting greater, these deeds, with time. Sounds great. Sounds fantastic. But then, in verse 20, it switches. And the risen Christ with laser-penetrating eyes and burnished brass feet of judgment looked at that ancient church in Thyatira and had these things against her. First, she had accepted a false teacher. And in the acceptance of a false teacher that went under the pseudonym of Jezebel, it wasn't the literal Jezebel of the Old Testament, but rather a false teaching woman who mimicked Jezebel and her character in the Old Testament, in following after this false teaching led by someone the Spirit of God calls Jezebel, some in that congregation were participating in sexual immoralities, and they were eating food that they knew to be offered to pagan idols. How does that happen? How did that happen in Thyatira, that they were advancing in their faith and their service for Jesus on the one hand? On the other hand, they were compromised. They were just choosing sexual immorality and idolatry. How does that happen in our church or any church? 
Well, it would seem from the letter that Christ sent to the ancient church of Thyatira, the way that that kind of good deed gets mixed with that kind of sinful deeds is in a pragmatic mindset, in a mindset where believers say, well, what's practical here? A man's got to make a living, you know. A woman's got to have a job and put bread on the table here. And so with this tension between getting by in life and being holy, when those two things are in tension, either we choose to be holy and trust God for a living, or we don't choose to be holy and we decide to trust ourselves and our world to feather our nest and to put bread on our table. The choice for them is the choice for us this morning. Will we choose getting by or will we choose being holy when the two are in a collision course with each other? Thyatira was an interesting place. It was a textile town. They produced all manner of textiles for all manner of purposes in the ancient world. They were famous for a very exquisite quality purple dye. It was an extremely expensive purple dye. And garments that were dyed with the purple dye from Thyatira sold for big bucks back then. You may remember in Acts chapter 16 that Lydia is mentioned as a convert to Christ. And she was from Thyatira, and she was a seller of purple garments and fabrics. And so Thyatira was this textile town, but just as important to know, in that textile town, there were trade guilds. We would call them unions. And in Thyatira back then, if you were a member of the trade guild, you would get work. You could feed your family. But if you refused to be a part of the trade guild, you did not have employment. Your kids might lack shoes, and your wife might lack new clothing when you weren't part of the trade guild. That was the first predicament that the original readers of the letter to the church in Thyatira had. Some were caving in to Jezebel's immoralities because they wanted to get by in life the world's way, and others were not caving into those temptations, and they were seeking to be holy and set apart from the world for God. And now, today's ministry spotlight. This morning, I have Dr. Marlene Heiler in the studio with me. She is the co-founder of the New Providence Classical School in Nassau and also a professional Christian counselor. Good morning, how are you? Good morning, I'm great. Wonderful. Thank you. You're welcome. You happen to be a single Christian woman. <laughs> I am. <laughs> and uh, let's talk about singleness a little bit. Some of our listeners are single, I am sure of that. Uh, what's the worst piece of advice you've ever received as a single woman? God does not care about the details of our lives. Yuck. That someone's told you to bless your heart. Yes. That God doesn't care about the details of life. Yes. That is bad. And that was advice. a person I was dating at the time, too. It's good you got rid of him. <laughs> <laughs> he was reading the book, I think, by Gary Friesen, Decision Making and the Will of God. Yes, I'm familiar with that book. <laughs> I didn't like it either. <laughs> Essentially, the book says that uh, there's a whole circle of dots for a Christian, and you can basically pick any dot within the circle and you're good. Um, but I agree with you that God is a God of specificity and uh, order and providence. 
and sovereignty, and he does care about the, the details, details of our lives. Okay, <laughs> let's move from the, what was the worst advice you've received to what would you say is the best advice you've received as a single? The best advice I received was from Dennis Rainey's wife, Barbara Rainey. They're the president of Family Life. You need to get to know God now as a single person. Yes. Because as a single person, if you spend 10 minutes with God every day, mm-hmm. 10 minutes of quality time with God, when you get married, that will be cut down to five minutes. And then when kids come along, that will be cut down to two and a half minutes. Wow, that's practical truth. So as a single person, you need to spend as much time with the Lord and you need to nurture your relationship with the Lord and get to know him as best as possible right now. That's terrific advice. Indeed. Um, I don't know who said it. Maybe you can help me know. But someone has said um, a woman ought to be so close to God that any man who is interested in her has to go through God to get to her. I don't know who said that, but I've seen that in emails. Yeah, yes. That, mm-hmm. is, that is a real thought, isn't it? Okay, so um, you're a lovely uh, Christian single woman <laughs> who comes into our church and... Um, what would you hope hmm. to graciously, tactfully, in a timely manner, share with well-meaning believers in our church who interact with you as a single, maybe in a less than complete or good way? Well, I love marriages, and I love married people, marriage and family therapists here. And I always wanted to be married. My highest goal in life was, and still is, to be married. And call my husband Lord, small L, like Sarah mm, did to mm, Abraham. Mm-hmm. And at one point I wanted to have 12 kids. But, you know, as you walk with the Lord, you just trust him. And I, I can write a book called The Four Men I Could Have Married. Hmm. <laughs> and that would be an interesting book. But yes, what I would, would. <laughs> <laughs> what I would want uh, married people to know, and, I, and I've, I, I've been reflecting on this, and I think it may be affecting us. I have never been in in a season of my life where married people and single people live so separate. Interesting. Maybe because I've done a lot of parrot church and missionary type ministry, mm-hmm. so we're very mingled together. Mm-hmm. And so the way my Christian life is now and the way my, my church life is now, if you're not in children's ministry, if you're not teaching Sunday school, you don't have to hang out with married people. Coming to the studio, I said hi um, to our music minister, and he has kids. Mm-hmm. And when they were smaller, they're getting taller. So sure, now yeah. they can see me. Yeah. But before, when they were shorter, if I say hi to the parents, you know, they don't have to be engaged. Now that they're getting taller, son looked up at his dad and said, Daddy, do you know her? Mm. And I go, wow, that's a good example of being in the same church and not hanging out with married people and being so separate that your lives don't ever intertwine. So what I would want married people to know is that you have gifts. Your husband and the wife in the marriage have gifts that single people in your church may be able to benefit from. You know, he has a specialty in finances. Mm -hmm. And as a single Christian woman, and if you can't afford to pay an accountant, maybe you could benefit from the husband's specialty in finances. 
And the single person, man or woman, may have gifts that if you were nearer to them, your children may be able to benefit from. Yes. And I, I do know when it, I'm hanging closer to married people, I feel more nurtured because kids nurture me. Uh-huh. This may be hard to say, but some single people feel so strongly about this, they don't even like sh- handshaking time at church because they feel as if, if the pastor did not ask you to shake hands, they feel as if married people in the, in the church may not come over and say hi. I've heard that from single people. Wow. And I think married people sometimes don't know what to do with spiritually mature singles. And I, I, I would not know how to say this had I not been in a church where the pastor told me we were having a guest speaker come to town, who was in the Bahamas here, when the pastor said, why don't you spend some time with the visiting couple and find out what are the trends in ministry in the U.S. right now and what are the trends for singles? Well, I never got to hear about the trends because it was a group of single people and they needed to be heard. Mm. And they used this opportunity and they opened my eyes to several things. Because married singles, and I don't know if this is in your church, but marriage and singles are so separate in the church. Sometimes single women end up with the wrong type of man because they're not even used to hearing a man's voice. Mm. So if they're in, and this person used the example, they were in Wendy's, I think, on Mackey Street. If they're in Wendy's and a man is nice to them, they don't get to experience that at church. They just feel so blessed that some man is being nice to them that they could end up with the wrong type of guy. So they can end up dating the wrong type of guy. Or I know this has happened. Sometimes they end up pregnant Mm. because they have... Needs. It doesn't have to be sexual needs, but they have emotional needs and conversation needs that aren't being met in church. And so they end up in the wrong type of setting with the wrong type of guys. I can go further with this. This particular person had been married three times because her first and second husband had died. Mm -hmm. And this is an American um, speaker who pointed this out to me. She said, with Christian couples not knowing what to do with mature Christians, Okay, when she's married, they're friendly with her. First husband dies. And then they don't know what to do with her. Because she said it could be about sex. Like, okay, so you were sexually active before, and now you're not sexually active. So she, you know, she don't know if that's underlying, but they would distance with her. And then she got married a second time. And all, this, all of a sudden, these people became her friends. Again. Again. Ooh. And then that husband died. And they didn't know what to do with her. So she felt isolated in church. And now she got married a third time, so they're her friends again. So almost like she would come to the conclusion that she had no worth or identity unless she was married. That's, that's something. As you were speaking, I thought, you know, perhaps a single person, uh, I've heard the expression, feels like a, a third wheel or a fifth wheel right, yes. on, on, a, on a system. Okay. And it may be that we can, uh, as married people, we can be insensitive and you know only do things socially with other marrieds and not think of the single. Or if we do think of the single, we think it's just too complicated yes. to have her or him come. And then the other thing I was thinking about was um, it could be, this is not right, but it could be that there's some jealousy 
within uh, one of half of the marriage. So let's say um, okay. there's a husband and a wife and there's a single woman. And the, the man, you use the example, maybe he could do some accounting for her. Right. And maybe there could be some jealousy in the wife, you know, that they would have that uh, time. And it doesn't have to be jealousy. It could be that they're protecting their marriage. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't have to be jealousy. But it's I, what I do realize, thinking about this, when there's more blending, I, there's more laughter. Sure. I see more laughter. When I've hung out with married people, so we're laughing as a group. Mm-hmm. And when it's more isolated, I don't see as much laughter in the church. Also, I feel the way it is now, I have never, and it could be that I'm getting older, but I have just never heard of so much sickness and death. Mm. I feel as if aloneness could be affecting us more than we realize. That's interesting. You know, I don't think I've ever told the joke on the radio, but you're, you're making me think of one with the woman who had the three husbands that passed. And, you know, there was this lady and she had, she had a husband and he died and she had another. And anyway, the first husband was a banker and he died. The second husband uh, was an actor and he died. The third husband was a preacher and he died. And the last husband um, was an undertaker. One for the money, two for the show, three to get ready, and four to go. <laughs> Sorry, listeners, that's a lousy one, but that's my first and only joke in a long time. Okay, well, let's bring this back um, to quite a very quite serious uh, theological and practical part of being single. Um, would you agree or disagree when someone says as an unmarried Christian woman that that Jesus is in some manner your husband? I mean, I would, you know, I hate to keep coming, saying everything is in Scripture, but yes, because biblically the Lord says in Isaiah 54 verse 5 that the Lord, your maker, is your husband. Mm. And so scripturally, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, he, I feel as if he, ha- he, he, he says he is. And, you know, even as a member of the body of Christ, I'm, we're the bride and yes. he is the groom. Yes. yes. So he is my husband. And sometimes I've had to ask him to be. I've had to say, OK, Lord, you know, women would know this. When, you know, if there's a zip and you can't reach and you go, Lord, this would be a good time for my husband to be here. I can't reach this zip. Or if you have a new perfume and you go, I don't even know if this smells OK on me. And there have been times when I say, Lord, you know, if I had a husband, you know, I would, you know, it wouldn't take me so long to get all the groceries out of the car mm-hmm. or I would know if this perfume smells good on mm-hmm. me. And the Lord would do practical things like um, going into a hotel and going up an elevator and someone stopping and saying, boy, you look nice today or paying you a compliment or saying, my, that perfume smells nice on you. So the Lord is, has, has been my husband in really practical ways. He's given me the best of a lot of things. I mean, I've traveled, eaten at some of the best restaurants. I've been in limousines. So some of the things that a physical husband would have to be, the Lord has had to do for me, and he has been. That's so lovely. I'm sure that's so true in many, many ways. 
Um, I was thinking too, when you were speaking about singleness and how um, a single woman can fall into less than good things when just a man shows kindness and respect. Yes. You said because at Wendy's. Because you're not used to it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was raised in a family where I had no brothers. I had two sisters and I'm the eldest. And, you know, I think God used that um, home environment to, to teach me some courtesies and etiquette mm -hmm. and uh, how to respect uh, females and uh, such. So I guess what I'm sharing that insofar as that every female Christian single is a sister. And we who are brothers, uh, whether we're widows or we're married men, we need to treat um, those precious single Christian women as our sisters with respect, with uh, care, with love, appropriate brotherly love. Like I like to say, there's no woman in our church family that should ever walk from our church building on Collins Avenue across our parking lot at night alone. If, if she doesn't have a husband there that night or a husband at all, that she should be escorted from the building through that dark parking lot to where she is That's parked to make, sure, to make sure that she's safe. And so, well, I so appreciate you um, opening up with us about some of your personal experiences about being a single woman, but also you've given us insight just uh, at a general level of, of how singles can be perceived and how they can perceive things themselves. I'd like to pray for the listeners today. Lord, we thank you that uh, you make us complete mm -hmm. and uh, doesn't make a, a spouse that makes us complete because we can have a spouse and be incomplete if we don't know you or give you the place in our lives that we should. But thank you for the fact that um, you are our identity and you are our significance. And I just pray for the single persons who are listening today that they would uh, have a contentment in their singleness, a godliness in their singleness, and um, an expectancy in their singleness that you know the best for them and uh, that you will provide the right uh, mate if that is within your will. And if it is not in the will, that you will bring that fulfillment and purpose as a single, perhaps with more time available to, to serve the Lord and his people. Thank you for uh, Sister Marlene. And we just pray that you would encourage her heart as a, a single Christian and that she would find her joy in Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684 Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.